I'm Rob. I'm John. And this is Wax Lyrical. Where we talk all things NFTs on the Wax blockchain and beyond. So crypto is famously decentralized, but how decentralized is it? That's a very good question, and it's probably a little less decentralized than you might think. Let's get into it. Okay, so we're going to try a slightly different format this week and maybe going forward. We, we've received, uh, we received a lot of feedback and it's, it's usually overwhelmingly kind and nice. Uh, and some feedback that I've taken is through the kind and nice words of several people who have said that they really enjoy when we are just relaxed and chatting like towards the end when we're having a disaster of an outro. So we're going to be a bit looser on this podcast. We're going to try and be less regimented. And um, we you may have heard me mention before that we do a little preamble um, before a podcast. So we're going to try and integrate uh, a short preamble into every week's podcast and, and we can just catch up. So John, how are you? I'm good, Rob. And um, I'm good. It's been a bizarre week <laughs> yeah. more than anything else full of bizarre 24 hours that's sure. <laughs> yeah things going on in the world things going on in crypto it's um oh, i thought 2022 had started in a relatively good way for crypto and then the world's gone to bleep so yes it has it's it's gone crazy i mean it's so i, I think it, it's all related that's the thing uh you know the stock market crypto the Ukraine and Russia, it's all kind of interconnected, isn't it? So that's, which I've seen a lot of people, I, I don't mean to get on a soapbox here, this will be a brief point, but I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, we're in a bear market, look at the dip we've seen, you know, in the stock market, really not that important mm, right no. now compared to what's happening to the poor people in Ukraine um, who are trying to flee the country and, and, and get safe and they can't get money out of an ATM and they can't get food from shops. And it's a really scary time. And really, your crypto gains aren't particularly important right now. No, no there's there's sort of wider things that are, you know, of course, a lot more important at the end of the day. Um, yeah. But, you know, this is, um, this is an NFT podcast, crypto podcast, a blockchain podcast. So there's been some uh, some interesting things happening in that space as well, namely with OpenSea more than anyone else. Um, as if they went through a, yes. enough backlash a couple of weeks ago with the, you know, the, the the change they put in to limit what creators could make, and then very quickly U-turning, and then of course earlier this yep. week with uh, what now appears to have been some sort of phishing attack on several OpenSea users. It's been a tough time for the guys over there. <laughs> it has been. OpenSea has, has been getting a, a lot of flack. And uh, obviously, I wrote the article for you that was published this week on NFT Insider about mm-hmm. the OpenSea debacle that, that we saw, which we'll, we'll get into properly in a minute. But then they since then have been hit, I think it was on the 9th, it was about five days ago, wasn't it? It was about the 19th mm-hmm. of um, February. They had an estimated $1.7 million worth of NFTs stolen due to some i mean i don't understand the 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 real technical points here but um i read that it was something to do with the wyvern protocol and um partially written smart contracts that allowed um yeah you know just exploitable smart contracts more or less but <clears throat> although we will get into uh some <laughs> not hate 
for OpenSea, I have a lot of respect for OpenSea, and they've they've done they've been incredibly important to the rise of NFTs and crypto in general. But some criticisms of them, for sure. I don't think this scam is is that OpenSea centric. They're getting a lot of flack for it, but it it was phishing, and I don't think the attack even happened on OpenSea, but rather a fake OpenSea page. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I think that's what happened. Which I mean, phishing has been happening for 20 years. You can't blame who these people imitate, really. No, I mean, we. there's fake versions of Wax's marketplaces coming up all the time. Yeah. You know, we've seen fake versions Sponsored of Atomical. Google as well. Yeah, we, we've seen fake Wax cloud wallets. We've seen fake Nephew Block sites. It's a scourge on the space. Yeah. And, you know, we all try the best we can to, to get rid of these but I mean we've talked about wallet security in the past so I don't really want to want to rehash everything we've said previously but I think especially with there being a lot of new people in the space people are maybe a little a little less guarded than there would be typically especially if you get familiar with like using a marketplace on a regular basis you might get a bit I guess lazy in a sense with checking things like you know URLs am I logging into the correct websites etc etc so it's um it's tricky. It's tricky indeed. And, uh, you know, these bad actors are increasingly finding different mediums through which to, to do these scams. You know, whether it's, you know, we, we all get Discord DMs from scammers, you know, on a regular basis, you know, to, to people imitating members of staff from certain teams. We've seen that a bit on Telegram, you know, people trying mm. to impersonate members of the Atomic Hub team to, you know, people setting up urls that are very similar to legit websites and then sending emails out with like the same email template that you know the legitimate site would use and then trying to get people that way it's um it it definitely pays to just take a step back before you know jumping at something that seems too good to be true you know for example with this uh, account migration on uh, on OpenSea, where they told people to oh you've you know you've got a do xyz thing with your nfts and you know potential scammers obviously spotted that like huh i can exploit this you know i can send emails out or i can send messages or it's uh man it's a it's a sad thing to see for sure yeah but i mean it's 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 inevitable it it happened a lot at the start of the internet and scams are always rife when there's confusion and you Mm. know crypto is a complicated space and it's easy therefore to exploit that uh you know as the user experience increases it will become more difficult to do what they're doing i mean there's so many some of them it, they they rarely e- even qualifies a scam uh, they're just people sending out smart contracts that have a little bit written into it that people don't read and then lose more than they thought they would you know there's there's plenty of ways to do it and as you said the discord phishing that's been going on lately has been crazy there's been so many games that I join hundreds of uh, games discords when I'm, you know, reviewing the games or writing about them. I tend to go on the discord to see what the community's like and read the FAQs and just get a feel for the game. And I reckon in the last six months, I've been in at least five servers that have lost control of their server to uh, some sort of phishing that's caught out an admin of the server and then they've sent out fake drops and then everyone that signed up to the drop lost god knows how much crypto it, I, I mean these these the bigger projects usually pay these users back as an apology but it's certainly rife at the moment and 
that's not the only way we're seeing i mean we've discussed this a lot actually when when we did the episode on you know staying safe in crypto we discussed doing your due diligence and you know not signing smart contracts and everything mm. um but it, it's not it's not quite as rampant in crypto as people might think and we discussed that a lot in that episode so you know go back to that episode and, and listen to it if you're interested but it's not the only problem facing crypto and particularly nfts uh, one of the biggest ones, which is right at the heart of, well, allegedly at the heart of the OpenSea uh, controversy, is plagiarism and IP theft, which mm-hmm. is a real... I, I think that's one of the biggest problems for NFTs at the moment that needs to be solved. And they just... N- nobody really knows what to do. And OpenSea is still leading the way as a marketplace. And they currently have no idea. And they've come under fire from users and co- uh, creators and brands because they're not doing enough to combat it but it is a i mean it's such a difficult problem at the moment yeah, to solve. It's, it's a very very difficult thing to solve i mean i can i can talk about this a bit from the atomic hub perspective i mean we yeah, i mean you know we get we get thousands tens of thousands you know four or five maybe sometimes even six figures worth of nfts uploaded to the site every day and mm. you know we do we just don't have enough people to check every single nft that comes through so you know, when we do spot NFTs that we think, oh, you know, that that's not right, or somebody sent us a report being like, you probably want to take a look at this, then, you know, we try and get things taken down as quickly as possible. Yeah. But it is, it is super, super difficult. Sometimes it's not even like the really blatant stuff, you know, like somebody creating a, I don't know, some sort of cartoon character with the Batman logo on it. That's an obvious one. You know, you just take that down. That's yeah. copyright infringement. But it's, it's people making things that are very similar to something or they've like they've traced something off Google it's not immediately obvious or you know or you know somebody's used a particular font in an NFT and they don't have the correct license to <laughs> use it it's yeah people don't quite realize how deep it goes like there there's so many little intricate things that you just can't you can't find unless somebody points it out to you it, mm. it's especially if people are stealing from smaller artists. Like I saw this week, I think this made front page Reddit. Um, there was a guy who did fan art of a some Disney film that I've never seen or heard of, but he created this 3D model and Disney stole it, essentially. Or I should say allegedly, so I don't get sued. Um, <laughs> allegedly, Disney have stolen it and, and are selling it as a memento in Disney World. and he and he so he showed the 3d model he created and he compares it to the one that's for sale in their stores and i mean it's absolutely undeniable because even the imperfections that he left in there like there was this bit where there's there's two intricate parts of this model and they've sort of merged together and he was like yeah that was just me being lazy and i couldn't be bothered to fix it and it's in the the disney world Mm. version so They've clearly taken his model, which it was, he did a sort of open source license. I can't remember what the, the right word is for physical items, but it was like open source uh, sort of creative commons kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't for commercial use, just for personal. If you wanted to 3D print it, whereas, you know, Disney Disneyland are just abusing that and using it in a commercial capacity. Um, but for example, if someone at Disney was given that model and said, we, we want to sell this in the store, it would have been tremendously difficult for the person doing that 
to do enough due diligence to find the original artist. Mm-hmm. It is tricky to, particularly when people are stealing from smaller artists, it's very hard to track it down. But that makes it almost worse because you're stealing from somebody who likely doesn't earn a great deal of money from it or certainly not as wealthy as Disney are. So, yeah, the, these the IP theft and plagiarism... I mean, it's a problem that photography's had for a very long time, and I it, it, we're going to struggle, I think, for for forever more. But the criticism that's leveled against OpenSea is that they've had they set up a three hundred million dollar support fund, and people are like, well, where did that go? <laughs> because <laughs> there doesn't seem to be much support, and they they came under a lot of fire for not having enough people answering support tickets. I mean the, the only uh, yeah I mean the only thing that seems publicly available is that um that OpenSea support Twitter which it's useful for users of OpenSea I'm sure but then they just use it to announce that they were going to uh severely limit what artists were able to do <laughs> so. yeah so <laughs> we should I'll read the tweet cuz this is what the article is about I um, I implore you to go read that article because uh I put a lot of time into that and uh it's it should go through the situation in a bit more detail than we will hear. But on the 27th of January this year, OpenSea rolled out a new restriction for creators and their collections. The OpenSea support Twitter, which John just mentioned, which basically was created and then uh, dropped a bomb on the users. Uh, Their tweet read, To address feedback we've received about our creator tools, we updated our collection storefront contract limits to only support the creation of up to five collections and 50 items per collection. So that caps the number of NFTs you can mint to 250 per account. When I think I, I was looking at OpenSea's own stats and their all-time most successful NFT collections, the entire of the top 30 have 10,000 or <laughs> like 5,000 NFTs to each collection. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it, it's a wild restriction to, to put in place because it basically meant that new collections will never get near that sort of reputation that, you know, the, your bored apes and your crypto punks have. But also, and this is what they, they got the most backlash about, Artists who were in the middle of creating um, handmade projects, so rather than the sort of algorithmically generated NFTs, they were hand creating each, like a Sen- Senor Lupe does. Yep. Like each one is is made by hand, and so creating a collection of five hundred, a thousand takes a lot of time and a lot of work. And there were people that were in the middle of that, and then and then they were suddenly told, "Oh yeah." Don't worry about doing the next 750 because you can't even... Well, not. don't worry about doing the next 950 because you could only have 50 uh, per collection. Mm. So I, um, it was just... I don't know what feedback they were working off of. Uh, what is this feedback that they'd received about the creator tools? Because I think they hinted at plagiarism, didn't they, when mm. they were talking about that? Yeah, I mean, they OpenSea's had an issue with plagiarism and, you know, IP theft and all that for quite some time, but... I think it, just to corroborate what he said, I don't understand how they thought this could ever have gone down well with the community. I, I'm yeah. not quite sure what uh, reaction they're expecting. Uh, whether they thought, you know, people are going to dislike it, but they're going to have to put up with it. Which, if they did think that, that's a very bizarre way to to think about the problem because it it was inevitable as soon as it was announced that they were going to have to backtrack. 
because I mean, from off the back of that move from OpenSea, we did see a few ETH artists move to the Wax blockchain and start creating on Atomic yeah. Coburn on Nefty, and you know they've they've definitely sown the seed of Discord um, within their own community there, and you know the latest phishing, even though it you know it isn't entirely their fault, I suppose has only served to to further that seed that doesn't sound right does it Ooh, furthering seeds no <laughs> uh, we won't unpack that though uh, the thing is this has come at a terrible time for open sea because their uh, recent rival that just shot to prominence uh, looks rare i mean it could not have come at a worse time because looks rare have, have really put a dent in open seas market share on you know being the the primary marketplace for ethereum nfts and I think it was, I, I put this in the article, I think it was one week in January this year, they did $105 million in trade volume in 24 hours. Like, they've really started putting a uh, putting pressure on OpenSea, and then OpenSea have kindly started wobbling in all, in all directions and just allowing people in. So, yeah, they, I mean, they did, so, I, I don't know how to feel about it, because they did immediately U-turn. But one of my, one of the big conclusions for me was that we need to start looking at how much control these marketplaces have. Uh, There's a real problem with, well, for me, I think there's a real problem when someone as big as OpenSea can put forward a change that drastically affects everybody in the space in one way or another and not consult anyone. That is so anti-decentralization. I barely know where to start. It's just, it's chaos. When when one small group of people can make a change, a wholesale change that affects people in crypto, that isn't very crypto. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite. Yeah. I mean, if we go to, back when it was just crypto and NFTs weren't a big thing, you didn't really have this issue of, um, you know, centralized place. Of course, you had exchanges, and you know, every now and again, an exchange would be hacked and they'd lose a load of coins. But you know, an exchange couldn't, for example, say, "Oh, you can now only trade fifty dollars worth of crypto a day." You know, which was, yeah. was is, you know, would have been a change on a similar level to what OpenSea announced. Um, you know, we've ended up in this situation where a community and a technology which is based on decentralization is now being ruled by centralized companies. That isn't necessarily, I mean, it goes against the ethos of crypto for sure. I don't think it necessarily has to be a bad thing. But when you have companies like OpenSea making the decisions they were doing, which were inherently against the wants and needs of the community, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, it's the not consulting people. And they did say this, let me find their rowback tweet, which came under 24 hours later. Uh, they said, I'll read all of this because I think it's important. Every decision we make, we make with our creators in mind. We originally built our shared storefront contract to make it easy for creators to onboard into the space. However, we've recently seen misuse of this feature increase exponentially. Over 80% of items created with this tool were plagiarized works, fake collections, and spam. I'm going to stop there for a second. So, they do they do make out that this is to stop or to combat plagiarized plagiarized works fake collections and spam mm-hmm. but really all it's doing is making it easier for them to check for it 
by reducing how many NFTs can be uploaded in one go. Yeah. So there, it, it doesn't tackle <laughs> hire the root more of the people. Problem. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Uh, but it's not even really treating the symptoms. <laughs> it's just making it easier to find the symptoms <laughs> than before. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll carry on. We didn't make this decision lightly. We made the change to address feedback we were receiving from our entire community. I mean, that's patently untrue. Yeah. However. We should have previewed this with you before rolling it out. So there's two key points here. One, if the entire community were giving you feedback, you didn't need to preview it, but they weren't and you did. Um, And secondly, we should have previewed this with you before rolling it out. This is where the crux of the problem is for me Mm -hmm. because the fact that communities aren't getting a say in this is the opposite of what what we want from crypto. And... We then have to have the difficult discussion over how much of a how much input should the community have? Who makes these decisions? I mean, when a, a big organization is central to income for creators and then they make huge decisions without consulting the community that takes away, you know, people's livings and that that can't happen. But at the same time, leaders within sectors, crypto included, is inevitable. And arguably, it's desirable. I mean, it's just how capitalism works. The the people that have done the best rise to the top, although it's not always a meritocracy as such, but mm. it is funneling, you know, the right, well, the most successful people to the top. And that will always happen. Yep. But how do we combat this? How do we combat when a marketplace like OpenSea becomes, I mean, it hasn't got a monopoly, but it is the biggest marketplace. Yeah. When they start making major decisions that affect the industry, should we stop that? Or or is that just promoting people leaving for places like Atomic Carbon looks rare? Like yeah. m- maybe that's just par for the course. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose that you could argue that. And I think there's always, at the end of the day, I think marketplaces are always going to be some that make good decisions and some that make bad ones. But for the market leader to make one this bad is it's just it's just terrible isn't it and Mm. i've seen i've had a few people say to me in the past that all marketplaces should be DAOs. you know in this kind of this view that if you make any big organization a DAO, it somehow makes it better i don't think that's necessarily the solution but i i'm gonna be honest i'm not entirely sure what the solution is um Mm. i i definitely think OpenSea in this situation needed things like i don't know more focus groups and needed to speak to more creators not just the big ones as well you know speak to your everyday creators that aren't trading too much but you know want to create you know generative collections or you know any sort of collection that would have been impacted by this change and you know i can't i don't want this to sound too much like a you know oh you know atomic club's the best but you know from our point of view we're, we're always checking the discord for feedback we're always getting people's ideas we consult with as many people as we can before we make a major change and it's it strikes me as bizarre that that's our attitude being you know compared to open sea whilst transactions wise we do process a lot more transactions you know in terms of sales volume etc and you know media coverage we're not at the same level as them currently it strikes me as bizarre that we we do listen and you know we we like having focus groups and that kind of thing and it appears that OpenSea doesn't. That's frightening to me. Um, mm. That's really frightening. Yeah, I never know really how to interpret this. I think there are two really common sayings that 
are in complete opposition when it comes to how major companies in crypto should operate. So on the one side, you've got the having a DAO running these these things. And then you could say, well, you have a DAO because of the wisdom of crowds. You know, you mm. the more people that contribute their knowledge and experience, the more likely you are to make the correct decision. But then I can't help but think also <laughs> you have, have you ever heard the, the phrase, a camel is a horse designed by committee? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just the... You know, I, mean, I think that's disrespecting the camel, in fairness. Uh, the, ca- the camel's done an excellent job, um, and it, it really is it's become a premier form of, of transport throughout history in, uh, in so desert so, areas. Somebody cr- made you like the director of marketing for camels. If that job's open, I will apply, because I think camels get a really bad rap, and that saying isn't helping. But uh, I get the point that, you know, if too many people have a hand in something, it loses its identity and it tries to solve too many problems and it starts to lose direction, which I do think these major organisations, if they were run by DAOs, would that, I mean, that certainly could happen. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know whether there is a solution to this or whether we have to say, okay, OpenSea might make some bad decisions, so go elsewhere. That that's just how it goes, you know. If you if you buy a car and it keeps going wrong, you don't buy from that manufacturer again. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I guess, I guess we do have to be thankful in a way that you know, OpenSea isn't the only option if you want to trade ETH NFTs. Mm. So, I mean, as you said, you know, people could go across to Rarible or Super Rare or Looks Rare or across. They all have Rare in the title, don't they? They yeah, like funny to, that. Isn't it? <laughs> they like to push this aspect of scarcity. Um, mm. But you know, you know, thankfully both creators and collectors could go to other marketplaces if if they want to. And I suppose we have to be thankful of that. Even though OpenSea is the market leader in a lot of respects, there are alternatives and people are increasingly exploring those alternatives and want to see what else is out there. Um, something really small, but kind of was a bit of a bugbear for me when I read the, the you know, few paragraphs I had here about reversing the decision, is the line where they say, however, we should have previewed this with you before rolling it out. This might just be me because I I kind of cotton onto these sorts of things, but they use the word preview instead of review, um, which to me says... <laughs> As in the decision's already made. Yeah, we're, we're already going to do it. <laughs> we're just going to show you first. Yeah. Which yeah. strikes me as very weird. And in the next paragraph, they, they finish off by saying, we commit to previewing these changes with you in advance of rolling them out. Please give us feedback along the way, which again sounds like... We've got further plans down the road. We'll show them to you before we do them, but we're still going to do them, which I think may have come off a little better if they said we commit to reviewing them. So it's like, oh, you know, we'll take your advice and we'll factor that into our decisions rather than we're doing this anyway. (laughs) Rather than, oh, by the way. Yeah. But then the backlash would come before the fact, I guess. So it would come before any serious harm comes that you know people might say oh this is a terrible decision don't put it in and then they wouldn't put it in rather than hey this is a terrible decision oh crap this is going to happen in a week <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, i think it's i, I it, it it strikes to me of like um I, I mean i don't want to say too much about atomic hubs internal culture or the way they treat the community etc but and i don't want to say it's disrespectful but it just it comes off a bit like they're not really listening to what their community wants and that they're they're very focused on pushing their own vision regardless. Yeah. Which for a decentralized space is a bit of an issue. Yeah, so 
I think we should talk a little bit about decentralization because it's used constantly in crypto, but it's not always fully unpacked. So mm. uh, just to, I'll, I'll give a brief overview. I'm obviously not an expert on these things. I can't write smart contracts or I'm not a cryptographer, so I can only go so far. But decentralization in crypto usually refers to control and the power moving from a centralized person, company, group, whomever, to a distributed network. Um, And then these network architectures are usually centralized, distributed, or decentralized. And being decentralized, people act as if it's binary, as if it's you're either decentralized or not. But it tends to be more of a gradient than that. Mm -hmm. Some things are decentralized, some aren't. But this is where I think the problem arises with, with... uh, OpenSea, and I'm not really bashing OpenSea. I'm any major player in in the crypto space that becomes a, a central hub. I didn't mean to use central really there because I'm going to have to use that word again. <laughs> but uh, you, we're not moving from a centralized person, company, place, group, whatever, because it's not a distributed network. I mean, it is when it comes to the blockchain side of things, but mm-hmm. then. Is it at odds to have one central company running such a big part of a decentralized world? I mean, it, it becomes really confusing, and I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm not sure there's an alternative. To be fair, I don't. I, I think we can only decentralize a certain amount, and it's like the whole committee thing. I, I think we can only we can we can only involve so many people in the decision. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how we take this and whether it is at odds. I think at the end of the day, you have to have people that are building the tools, building the infrastructure, building the marketplaces. So to a certain point, there does have to be some centralized elements in a decentralized yeah. system. I mean, I mean, I, I speak to Stuck at 6pm all the time, but he created the Honeycomb bot. That's hmm. a, I suppose, a centralized tool in if you want to call it that, you know, it's a it's a Discord bot that's run uh, in God, dozens and dozens of WAC servers. It's got an incredible amount of users, mm. but it's it's centralized. You know, Stuck and his team have full control over the direction that goes in, and, and I know he takes in you know community feedback, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and I know he, he's he's really good on that front, but that that is a centralized tool. And you know, when it comes to uh, WAX marketplaces, you know, Atomic Hub, Nefty, NFT Hive. Of course, we'll take in uh, user feedback, both from collectors, creators, and whoever it is, and try and use that to shape what we do. But at the end of the day, we are all centralized. You know, we make our own decisions. We are one company. Um, even if we are taking other people's opinions and and factors into play, it's it's it, it's such a tricky one, isn't it? <laughs> it's there's no easy answers to. You know, I mean, one, how much of a problem this is. Two, is it as big of a problem as people are making out it is and three ultimately is it the best for what's going forward is there a better you know structure for things like tools and marketplaces you know is it really that harmful to what people you know perceive decentralization to be it's there's so many things to unpack <laughs> yeah within it. I, I don't yeah. really know <laughs> where to start <laughs> i mean it, it, there is there is too much i don't I don't think we need to have everything decentralized in crypto. And I think with tools and services, 
as long as they don't have a monopoly and as long yeah. as we have other options, yeah. then, uh, you know, it, it it's fair enough. It, or even if we don't have other options, as long as other people could build other options, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter too much. But... I mean, the benefit of decentralized... Sorry, no, go on, go on. I was just going to say on that on that point of, you know, being able to build other options, I suppose this is where some of the backlash about the AAA game studios coming to the NFT spaces are because I think mm. Ubisoft was like, hey, we're creating this NFT. You can only trade it on this platform using this currency at this time. So, yeah. you know, this, and then that that's no longer crypto. How, how decentralized is it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're just creating a marketplace within their own ecosystem. It isn't really NFTs. Well, they might call them NFTs, they might live on a blockchain, but if, let's say, Ubisoft controls that blockchain, controls everything about it, controls where you can sell the NFTs, at what price and what time, it's like, well, that's not that's not really true to what NFTs and crypto should be. So Yeah, so I think I, there's a point in there that we should highlight here. The benefits of blockchain um, decentralization are transparency, it's trustless, which is, you know, a really big factor here. And the trustlessness is, is something that we are seeing... Um, perhaps OpenSea is at odds with, but in general, blockchain decentralization is trustless. It, you can't corrupt the ledger. It's distributed and it's also safer. Information on the blockchain, um, if one server goes down, the ledger's distributed, so the other servers have copies, exact copies. Um, so, you know, nothing is lost. But this is one of the key criticisms of NFTs. I, I'm sure you have seen it with the people that are really anti-NFTs they talk about how you're not buying the NFT, you are buying a receipt to say that you own an NFT. And I I actually think there's some there's some credence to that to that claim. Because hmm. with a lot of blockchains, the NFT, let's say it's an art NFT, yep. the media isn't stored on a blockchain. Now, this is where Wax has been pushing this, or last year Wax was pushing this a lot. Um, Wax's founder, William Quigley, tweeted a few times saying, not IPFS, not your NFT. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you, you saw it. And, yep. and what that means, we should unpack that because that's confusing. But basically, IPFS is interplanetary file system, which the closest analogy I can think of is, is a bit like torrenting in that, um, the like the media file is stored on a decentralized network, so it's spread out, and it it's different to Ethereum, for example, because they do just have the receipt of the of the NFT purchase and who owns it, what wallet owns what. Whereas with IPFS, the media file is also stored, so you still get that receipt, the blockchain entry on the ledger but you also have the file stored in a on a decentralized network which is the key difference so what um mr william quigley the founder of wax i I always feel like i need to give that some some real oomph um (laughs) what he's saying is if if the media isn't stored in a decentralized way then in what way do you own that that media which is you know countering the criticism that you know if you go and buy a bored ape you don't actually own the image. I mean, <laughs> this is so messy because you kind of do, but you the image itself isn't stored anywhere. It isn't stored on a decentralized network. And that's always been the chief criticism of NFTs. And I do think there is some truth to it. Um, 
jump in. <laughs> jump in here because I, I i'm kind of i'm i'm swinging because it's such yeah. a complicated subject and i don't really know how to fully lay it all out yeah i mean it's a very technical subject which i think sort of lends credence to you know the difficulty to talk about the minutiae of it um as you said william quigley a couple of times last year did tweet not ipfs not your nft i do kind of agree with him um yeah I, 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 some of the criticisms where it's like you're, you're basically buying a receipt when you, I mean, I, I've not done this, but I suppose this is basically how it works. Whenever you trade, um, I don't know, in gold or whatever, you're basically buying a receipt that just says, hey, I've got this much gold. And unless you have it physically in front of you, you don't really own it. You just own a piece of paper that says you do. Yeah, a friend of mine recently said to me about the whole receipt thing. Well, he didn't actually say receipt. He was talking about um, you don't own anything, and he was—he really doesn't like NFTs. And he, and he said, "Oh, you don't actually own anything." But a little bit like what you're saying with gold, I, I said to him, "What do you think is happening in online banking? I mean, your money—you don't, unless you go and get it out of the ATM, which he never does. By the way, <laughs> he never does. He only ever uses his debit card. He never uses cash. Like, nor do I. I never use cash. No, me neither. But so, so what does he think? is going on with the money there. Does he not think he owns that money? Is that not his money? I mean, he obviously thinks that's that's his money, but it's not, he's just got some information online that says he owns that money. It, it's it's difficult, but I do understand where they're, they're coming from with the whole receipt thing. If the media, what you're buying, if that's not stored on a decentralized network, do, do you own it? Yeah, it's... It's yeah, blurry. I mean, it's it's very blurry, but I mean, it brings up a really good point that people sort of inherently trust online banking and banks in general, that whenever you make a payment, whenever money enters your account, that you own that money without really anything physical backing that up. Of course, you know, banks have cash reserves and all this sort of thing, but there's not a warehouse that has everyone's bank account in it. And whenever you make, I don't know, some sort of payment, a man physically moves notes and coins from I wish that <laughs> were the case. From one pile into another. Like it doesn't exist. You know, online banking is just numbers in a server and the numbers go up and the numbers go down. And it's all data. And decentralized systems are effectively the same thing. It's just data saying Without the trust. Hey, you own this, you don't own this. You've done this transaction, you've not done this transaction. It's the same system, but it's I think this is Kind of where terms like decentralization and, you know, the very blockchain heavy terms that some people are using, like, hey, you know, the ERC20 token and all this kind of doesn't help because it just adds more layers of confusion onto something that people don't inherently understand. Um, yeah. But I think with time, it might become a little more accepted as people start to realize that the similarities between the established systems we use every day and these new systems which you know i don't want to use the word decentralized because i've just made the point that it makes it more confusing but you know there's there's enough similarities there where people should be able to inherently trust a decentralized system over well compared to things such as banking or you know the services that we use every day today yeah well i mean the point of the for me one of the chief points of a decentralized system is is it that it's trustless that nobody can corrupt it nobody controls the the network per se there's just people running it um which is an important point and i think the the biggest criticisms of some of the the blockchains out there i'm not going to name any uh names here but essentially if you have an nft and you own an nft on certain blockchains and that blockchain 
you know, shuts its servers down. It's gone. You you can't get it off, which is identical in theory. It's identical in practice to if you had a, uh, an account with a game and you were buying skins and then they banned your account or they closed the game down. Everything you bought, everything you owned, you didn't really own because you couldn't get it off. You couldn't actually move it. And it wasn't really decentralized, which I think is what um, William Quigley is getting at a lot when he talks about IPFS and, you know, not IPFS, not your NFT, mm-hmm. is that if the servers were to go down or they were to be shut down, then you've lost that asset. So how much can you say you own something that you have that little, little control over? Yeah, it's a very good question. And I suppose we won't get the real answer until, I mean, hopefully this will never happen. But we won't get the real answer until a blockchain goes through, you know, a massive attack and closes down or, or, you know, something Mm. massive happens. And for some reason, NFTs on this chain, you know, that something irreparable has happened. And I suppose we'd get the real answers. Um, But I mean, as as you've said a few times and as William Quigley has said, if it's not IPFS, it's not your not your NFT. If let's say you know, you you create an NFT and it's not on IPFS. If the system behind that NFT disappears, so does the NFT. But if you're if the file itself is hosted uh, on IPFS, uh, at least you still have access to it. Um, yeah, well, this it, it brings it back to trust, doesn't it? It brings it back to whether we can trust these institutions. Yeah, and I guess I kind of want to make the point that we've spoken in the past about investing into NFTs or just purchasing NFTs that you like and things you should look out for before you do, you know, um, do I, can I contact the artist? Do I trust the artist? Are they saying all the right things? Are they being communicative, etc.? And the exact same rules apply to the marketplaces and the tools that you use on a daily basis. You know, marketplaces should be communicative. They should be transparent to a point. They should be open. They should taking multiple opinions you should be able to contact them if you have any questions etc and you know going beyond that i mean they should apply for for collections of course you know if they have a legal entity behind it should be able to see what it is for the collections and it's the same for marketplaces you know if if you go on to i'm sure if you go onto OpenSea's website or atomic hubs you know you can find our company information you can find our addresses you can find our i don't know our vat numbers you know you can see all the legal structure behind it and see that it's all sound and you can check it yourself. I think that's something mm. you should really, if you're going to use a marketplace or a tool, something you should be able to check as well. Because otherwise, you're if you are going to trust a, you know, a centralized entity, you ideally want to know as much as possible about that entity in order for you to be able to trust it as much as possible. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think it does. Because what we've got to remember is that while you know, a decentralized blockchain is trustless, the organizations that house it uh, in various ways and and give it utility like marketplaces, they almost necessarily cannot be trustless. Mm -hmm. They, even if it's, even if it's run by a, a DAO, there's that, that could still, that still relies on some trust. It's, it's less trust, but there's still some trust involved. You can't say it's trustless. And so I think we need to start, as you said, we need to start analysing the marketplaces and the major tools and things like uh, wallets, for example. We need to start analysing the companies behind them because as soon as trust is involved, like a, a gaming project or an artist's NFT collection, we 
I've you know I've written an article for you and we did an entire episode on red flags and and what the markers you should look for. Now I think we need to apply that to places like open sea where we we need to know what direction they are going, what sort of changes they want to make. They can't just airdrop huge wholesale changes to the way they work like yep. they did. I mean they they U-turned. Let's give them some credit. Mm-hmm. They saw the backlash and they U-turned within 24 hours. So I appreciate that they are at least malleable to that uh, extent. Mm-hmm. But this is something we now have to discuss. We, we have to look at marketplaces. Perhaps when you're choosing a marketplace, you need to compare them. Yeah. Now, one thing I'll, I'll say now, you know, John works for Atomic Hub. I'm not affiliated with Atomic Hub in any way. Um, but one thing I really like about Atomic Hub is the dynamic roadmap where uh, Atomic Hub essentially shows everything from requested features to bug reports to um, things that are down the line that they're going to implement. That's the sort of transparency that I'm I'm looking for with projects. And and now I guess we've we've got to assign it to to marketplaces because there's there's I, I mean I'm again I, I hate naming names so I'm not gonna name names but um, one of the uh, marketplaces that Token Gamer is using has secondary sales, the percentage we make of um, from secondary sales. It's, I mean, it's not very much, but it doesn't really matter for the point here. Um, that is going into a sort of a holding wallet um, with the marketplace. Now, I, I trust this marketplace, but if this marketplace were to prove, it's, to, prove to be untrustworthy, or what if they did something arbitrary, like they said, you have to have £10,000 worth of cryptocurrency in this holding wallet before you can withdraw it. Well, then then you've got a big problem. Mm -hmm. And so trust comes in in so many different ways that we haven't yet really figured them all out. We we haven't identified all the potential problems. And so, yeah, we, we have to approach the marketplaces as we do projects. I think with with blockchains, something that's just come to mind is if you have a decentralized system that is inherently trustless, you're not really removing the trust aspect from the wider picture. You're just moving it onto different entities. So if you know if a decentralized ledger or a blockchain, you know if you you can inherently trust that because it's trustless, then you have to be able to inherently trust the marketplaces or the tools or the projects you're buying into. You know, like in the way that you inherently trust your bank. You know, mm. if you deposit money into your bank, you kind of trust that your bank's not going to run away with it and steal it and, I don't know, go and spend it in some bar and buy a load of bottles of champagne or whatever. I, whatever they decide to do with it, you trust that bank's going to... do that. <laughs> you, you trust that bank's going to hold your money and will have it available for you when you want it. Um, and, and I suppose if we're, if we're going to use that kind of system of holding currency, etc., within a decentralized system it's in you know like you said it, it's trustless you can inherently trust that but you'll you'll then have to move who you trust along one step down the chain so it's like oh, okay who am i using to, to interact with this oh i'm you know using this marketplace or you know i'm using this tool or whatever the case may be so these entities whoever they are whatever tools you use should be able to stand up to the same level of scrutiny that you would give a project an individual anybody who you know is interacting with your assets, whether that be crypto or NFTs, in any part of the blockchain space. Um, particularly so for marketplaces, I think, because, you know, for 
and let's say OpenSea, you know, they do billions of dollars worth of transactions. So everybody using it needs to trust that they're doing the right thing and that they're transparent and they're open. And, and you know, on a, on a company level, it seems like they are. You know, you can see, oh, they're registered here. They have this person in this position, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, for Atomic Hub, you can read our imprint. You can see our address, our VAT number, who's in control, certain levels, blah, blah, blah. There are marketplaces that aren't like that. And that's quite scary. <laughs> yeah. I think your analogy with banking it brings up a sort of vague, perhaps future irony that, that may land on us. Because blockchains are trustless in that they have absolute transparency and nobody can mess with the ledger. Mm-hmm. So the information is just stored, it's distributed, and nobody can um, you know, edit it, yep. which is the major problem. Um, now, the, the thing that started, arguably started the crypto movement is the 2008 financial crash. Yep. That's what that was. Most stories of crypto will say that that was the key starting point because um, Satoshi's uh, white paper came out shortly after um, trying to overcome this problem of, of trustlessness. And we do naturally trust our banks and we, we trust that the money will be there. Mm-hmm. But there's been plenty of trustworthy banks where the money suddenly hasn't been there. And yep. 2008 is a good example. The Lehman Brothers, yep. mm-hmm. the money was there. I mean, we had, uh, what was the Northern Bank in the UK? Was it BlackRock? Northern Rock. That where Northern Rock, the Northern, the North, yeah, Northern Rock. <laughs> so Northern Rock had a load of uh, pensions and people couldn't, couldn't get the money out. And there, there was queues everywhere trying to get into branches to get their money out of Northern Rock. And they couldn't get the money because mm-hmm. Northern Rock had gone under. So it's, it's very much the same situation we're having with marketplaces now that we, yeah. even the most trustworthy ones, we, we still have to be, careful and certainly the same goes for exchanges i mean we have seen yeah we've seen loads of uh, exchanges have hacks and then worse uh we look at um quadriga cx was one of the early canadian exchanges and its founder gerald cotton he died but the died is inverted uh, yes. commas uh, it's a really interesting story there's a podcast called a death in crypto land which is a really good listen, by the way, on um, whether he did actually die because he died again in inverted commas with the keys to <laughs> to much of the uh, the funds. So people lost. I mean, I th- I think there was it was like two hundred million dollars worth of uh, money was just tied up because nobody else had the keys other than the dead guy in inverted commas. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it really comes back to that. The, trustlessness doesn't apply to everything within crypto yeah i i'll have to uh definitely listen to that podcast episode i remember reading about that mm, um, good. actually not too long ago it's, it's a very interesting story um but I, I suppose i'll propose a question to you rob um okay. you said there that you sort of inherently trust your bank what allows you to trust your bank or your payment service like paypal um, I mean, it, it's, it's okay difficult. if you don't. Have once an you put it, <laughs> well, once you put it under the you know, the microscope, I think it all starts to fall apart. But you really, I really trust it almost entirely based on social proof. The fact that mm. they have not yet 
scammed me. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I mean, that, I, do, I suppose that that does that does help uh, for sure. But that, that's you know, like that. that's like skydiving and saying I've not yet died. <laughs> So I'm just going to keep doing it. Like once you've been scammed, it's horrendous and it'd be difficult to recover. But then, you know, so I'm with, I'm with a few banks, but let's say Barclays. Mm-hmm. I've been with them since, since I was a kid and, and they, you know, they're well established. They've got yeah. a lot of accounts. They, they're involved in a lot of things. If they were to go under, the amount of damage it would cause worldwide would be catastrophic. So I kind yeah. of, I ha- I have faith in it insofar as it's their survival is also tied up in the economy's survival mm-hmm. and that they would probably and although I don't always agree with this they would probably be bailed out before I lost my funds because it yeah. would do too much damage to the economy yeah I think that's a you know that's a good answer they've you've been with them for a long time they're they've been around for well, I think Barclays has been around for hundreds of years so you know they do have that that sort of historical proof and social proof and whatever you'd like to call it mm. But I, I, the point I was going to make is a, a lot of what makes it possible for you to have more trust and more faith in financial institutions in the real world is laws and regulations. Yeah. You know, they, they allow you to be like, okay, it's against the law for bank this bank to do X. And, you know, if a bank were to go under, I'm insured for X amount of what's in that bank. So I should, fingers crossed, if all went well, be able to recoup my funds. And I think a lot of what, especially newcomers to the industry, criticise about blockchain is the fact that these laws and regulations aren't in place yet. I think if if OpenSea were to disappear tomorrow, what mechanisms would there be for all of its users to get back all their funds? Probably not much. I don't think there's many laws and regulations in place to actually facilitate that. Um, well, we're, this- we're seeing unfold at the moment the the um, the big Ethereum hack. They've tracked down the couple that were behind it. And they are working on prosecuting them and recovering the funds. Mm-hmm. But I, I appreciate your point. But then at the same time, regulations give me almost no comfort because Lehman Brothers <laughs> were regulated. And yes. yeah. the, you know, the housing market crash, that was all regulated. Like people weren't really, I mean, they were breaking the law, but a lot of what was happening wasn't breaking the law. It was just finessing its way through the system to yes, the point where yeah. it was unrecoverable and it just imploded. So I don't really find much comfort in <laughs> regulations being in place when it's on something of this scale. Mm. I think regulations are very powerful when it's uh, smaller companies and smaller scale. But when it's this big, we do need more regulations in crypto. I, I don't say we don't. But I don't. I won't find much comfort in when there are regulations. I shouldn't think. Perhaps, perhaps I'll change my mind. But I'm certainly. I'm not looking to that to feel more comfortable in the space. I think the space has kind of been designed in contrast to the financial world we've got to know. We, I mean, well, that was his intention with Bitcoin. Satoshi's mm-hmm. intention on that white paper was to create a cashless system that didn't require governance and, and and was trustless so i don't think adding regulations to it necessarily makes it safer i think it, particularly with cryptocurrencies they are you know they're unsafe slash safe by design yeah i don't think i agree with you i think on a day-to-day basis um regulation doesn't make things 
too much safer than you know the status quo and um, especially in the uk and I'm, I'm unsure if there's you know various national uh, variants or international variants rather um but most banks in the uk uh, subscribe to the financial services compensation scheme so that if you have money in a bank and that bank goes under you're basically insured up to the value of eighty five thousand pounds right it would be difficult i think for <laughs> a marketplace to put in something like that but i think it would help alleviate some people's fears to have a similar way of recouping lost assets shall we say but then in what why this is a genuine question in, in yeah. what way would the insurance work because the nfts should be owned and held by the purchasers or the owners let's say it shouldn't be in the marketplace and then the funds should I, i'm thinking of open the funds should go directly to the wallet do they not so there isn't nfts or crypto actually in the marketplace yeah it's a tricky one isn't it <laughs> so I, I don't know how i don't know how you could really insure against it because who who who's at fault i mean th- th- this is a thing you know with a lot of a lot of phishing scams and bad actors on the chain it's sort of the best advice that a lot of marketplaces and you know knowledgeable people in the space have is you know ultimately it's if it's your wallet it's your responsibility you know it's your responsibility to not click on malicious links or and to keep your private keys safe and to you yeah know. that's why this space is so scary yeah yeah and i think that's i suppose that's one of the barriers to to a lot of people adopting the space as they see that that sort of scary aspect being like oh you know i've got to be really careful what i click on there's nothing to fall back on whilst with in a lot of traditional you know in the traditional space if you're you know ordering something off amazon or ebay or whatever then there's there's recourse there should something go wrong there's no recourse at all in the crypto or the nft space like if something goes wrong it's gone wrong and there's nothing you can do about it i'm not entirely sure if there's or even if it would be right for uh, any sort of crypto or NFT space to have some sort of fallback. I'm not sure if that's a that's a right thing to do, but you know, for the reasons you've described. But it's it's something that for sort of the mass adoption of crypto and NFTs, there's going to have to be some sort of step change in people's expectations of a uh, well of both decentralized and centralized systems, I suppose. Because yeah, as we've said before, you know, the chain itself is decentralized, but whatever you've got to be able to trust whatever centralized organizations that you're dealing with this is going to get needlessly complicated i already feel like it is and there's tons of questions in here that we we can discuss of course but um i don't think we'll we'll find any answers to <laughs> let's say. no no um but i'm sure there's people that out there that are trying to find answers to these things but i think in any case it's not going to be easy <laughs> no i i mean I'm I'm a little bit torn. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, mass adoption because I think there's empowerment in the freedom you have right now within crypto and the fact that you own your own keys and mistakes you make are your own fault and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. But then for mass adoption, that almost necessarily cannot be the case because the 
we have to protect the most vulnerable most vulnerable but also we need to make sure that the average person can't just lose tons of their money through a simple innocuous error we've all made mm-hmm. silly errors um yeah. you know you could be tired you could be hung over <laughs> you don't want to just lose the contents of your your bank but what i would like to see and i don't know if this is possible uh, again we are not experts we're just chatting away so so take it with a pinch of salt but i'd like to see a dichotomy where we have sort of the regulated um sort of softer more friendly uh crypto side where perhaps there is insurance against these things and maybe you don't own your own keys and there are measures to make sure you're safe and and you're funneled into the right directions but i would also like there to be the possibility of complete control yourself where mm-hmm. you know you have a, a cold wallet and you have your own keys and i i like the freedom of that and i yeah. and i would like to retain that but then i i think as you said that is at odds with mass adoption yeah i, I think personally uh, you know just on my own personal view i'm completely fine with being responsible for all the transactions i sign and being completely responsible for my private keys and you know if, if one day i do sign a transaction turns out to lose all my crypto that's on my back you know i I wouldn't expect to be able to turn to somebody for that to be something that could be resolved. But I do understand for a lot of people from a from a traditional financial background, you know, using banks, etc. That's sort of a it's an it's an expectation that there's something to fall back on. And I think if in our current financial systems like banks, etc., if it was like if it was the understood standard that you know your money is your money, and if you make a mistake, you lose it crypto adoption would be much easier <laughs> um yeah but, you know because people kind of they kind of anticipate that somebody is going to help them if they make a mistake it, it leads to people feeling very wary when that isn't the case but yeah. I, like i said i don't i don't know if there's solutions or ways to prevent that it's it's just the nature of blockchain yeah and i think we've got to remember that a lot of people don't want the responsibility that you have no. to you have to bear <laughs> yeah. that responsibility at the moment in crypto and a lot of people don't want it which is mm-hmm. you know it's it's like having a baby against your will you've just <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this but i i do want my baby <laughs> by the way it's just it was just a point that came to mind i i'm i uh, yeah I, i'm fine i'm happy with my baby thank you and i'm fine with being responsible for it but you know if you had a baby dropped on your lap and you don't want to be responsible for it that's difficult what point am I making here? Who knows? <laughs> I've gone, I've gone <laughs> off piece. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, oh, I think the entire point of the blockchain space, it gets rid of middlemen. But could you, yeah. on that basis, could you somewhat foresee what would effectively be somewhat of a crypto bank? You know, some middleman that does take this responsibility and can offer you know, recourse and compensation and these things. But I, I get, then you're just Maybe. returning to what is basically our yeah, the financial system we have today. So with a well, I mean, yes, you are and you aren't because you'd still have the distribute, distributed ledger. So there would be complete transparency, mm, yeah. which would be a, a, a step up from the current system. But yeah. maybe you need something resembling um, a bank or p- perhaps wallets just need to improve the way in which they keep you safe so yes maybe they can trawl the smart contracts for um you know 
things that aren't. I, well, the ex- I don't know how this comes up so often for me, but the example I'm going to give is EVE Online for about the fifth episode in a row. <laughs> Despite the, I haven't played the game in about 10 years. But in EVE Online, if you try to buy something that is wildly over the market average price for it, because someone's doing a little phishing scam, it warns you before you make the purchase and says, this is 18,000% above the average price. Are you sure you want to make the purchase? perhaps we could add something like that perhaps that's something marketplaces can do before you Mm. purchase something it says hold on this is just not in line with the you know the statistics we have for this particular collection are Mm. you sure you want to make this purchase i mean obviously it's a bit more complicated with mint ones and um, things like that but i think it it would be fair to have that sort of measure in place to keep people safe from it only takes someone pasting something in discord and saying oh here's a drop i'm getting rid of these for five dollars each go claim one but then they're actually five thousand dollars and you just mindlessly click sign the contract and and there goes your money you know Mm. i think conversations such as this kind of highlight just how young the blockchain space is Mm, and how many things could be of use for it to develop or could be in place in the future. And I think, uh, you know, on your point there of things marketplaces could do to to uh, improve the safety aspect for uh, collectors and creators, um, you know, we at Atomica are always looking at various uh, tools and improvements, some suggested for the community, but obviously some other things that we are also working on to try and uh, to try and protect the user as much as possible. You know, we, we had our trade system, a lot of scammers exploited that for a while, but, you know, we've over time we've put more and more things in place to um to try and make sure that that training tool is used for legitimate reasons and you know like i said we're always looking at ways to to protect our user further can't talk about it too much because i mean as i've said to rob in the past we don't want to give scammers a head start on on things we're looking at implementing <laughs> right. but um yeah we're, we're forever looking at ways to improve safety and i'm sure we're not the only marketplace you know i'm sure marketplaces and organizations across the blockchain space are always looking at ways to better improve the um the the safety aspect of their platforms and you know improve the the level of trust that collectors and creators can have in their services so there we go yeah i might submit that as a suggestion my uh, price outliers add one more step between the purchase for price outliers where it's massively inflated price just add one more step before the smart contract pops up just to i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna put it in yeah do that for sure and you know for anybody else who hasn't no ideas for for atomic hub specifically you can either go into our uh, our discord which i think is just discord.gg forward slash atomic hub leave in the feedback channel we'll have a look or you can go to feedback.atomichub.io, which is, uh, as Rob alluded to earlier, our dedicated feedback site where you can see what we're working on, what we have done, submissions from the community, and you can also discuss them. So, you know, um, let's say Rob puts that suggestion in to have that extra step. Other members of the community can, you know, leave comments and discuss it with Rob and everybody can see, you know, what everybody thinks about it. I think it's a great place to discuss kind of what the community feels like. Let's go back to the start of the uh, episode where we were talking about OpenSea. I think if OpenSea had had a, uh, let's say they had an open forum, like our feedback site, that put, hey, we're going to implement this. What are your thoughts? And just uh, you know, say whatever you like. I think they may have thought twice before implementing it. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, they would have got the same backlash just before implementing it, which is a really important distinction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get the feedback 
before implementing a change rather than implementing a change receiving yes. the backlash and then doing a u-turn which oh yeah, it just tell, way tell people you're about to defecate the bed before you <laughs> defecated in it <laughs> that's a good point allows people to get out if nothing else oh my word well, I think we can start working our way towards an outro after that. <laughs> I, th- I think I have guided us to <laughs> the outro. The wheels are coming off. I mean, I've been talking about how much I do want my baby and I don't mind the restrictions. But, uh, and now I've moved on to defecating in the bed and letting your partner know before you do it. So oh the wheels word. have come off my end. I don't know about you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean... I- Blah, blah, blah. as you can tell by the fact i yes. can't talk i think the, it's the perfect to, answer it's starting to fall off the wagon a bit but i, th- I yeah. quite like this um this sort of relaxed format we've had for this episode i think conversational it's, format yeah yeah i mean we've we've touched on a whole bunch of things that i don't think we necessarily would have done otherwise you know we talked about open sea then we had a chat about ipfs and then marketplaces and centralization and regulation we've been a bit all over the place yeah. but i think it's been a really good chat well, we can we can hear what listeners think. Uh, let us know if you think it's worse than our usual structured format, uh, and we will just return to it. We are extremely easily influenced. So if you <laughs> if you think today's episode was utter chaos, we will return to to law and order. Oh, for sure. But yeah, uh, let's um, let either myself or Rob know in our. Well, on our respective social channels, and I suppose that leads us nicely into the little... Yeah, uh, nicely done. What a segue. run out, we typically do. No, God. <laughs> it's beautifully done. Oh, I might have a half-decent outro for once. Um, I'm going to ruin it. Okay, Rob. <laughs> yeah, you kind of are. Yeah. We... <laughs> Told you. Yeah. Yeah. You did so well with that segue, and I have put several oh, roadblocks I, I between. Tried, I, tr- I tried so hard... Well, it, so all, it all falls apart. I've started quoting Lincoln Park. Uh, go on, as you quoting Lincoln Park. <laughs> but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Um, exactly Rob, where can we find you? <laughs> um, you can find Token Gamer on tokengamer.io, uh, where we have articles about uh, all blockchain gaming and matters surrounding the blockchain gaming industry. Uh, our Discord is now. Uh, far more vibrant and we we started coming up with initiatives for our members to earn wax from us uh, which i'll give a a little uh, hint towards um so get yourself a membership pass only five dollars and there aren't many left i don't think i think there's only about 200 left Mm. uh so jump in our discord and chat with us about whatever the hell you fancy and then you can find us on twitter at token gamer news where we, well, it's essentially me running the, the Twitter 24-7 and I post articles, but then also occasionally I will just rant about things and point things out. So that's very exciting. and I'm, I'm sure you're all going to flood through the door. John. Uh, but before we get onto my list of uh, socials, coming off the mm-hmm. back of the last episode, did you create that Urban Bob Twitter account? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I thought I'd, I'd leave that to a... To someone else to, to assume my other identity. Oh, God, yeah, you're going to get somebody impersonating you, see? No, that, that's fine. No. Um, Bobby's open source. <laughs> oh, okay, let's, uh, let's run through my link, shall we? So, nftinsider.io for the latest NFT news. Uh, we are now chain agnostic. We've been talking about all sorts of things lately. Um, and we, well, we've got, I believe it will publish 
either the day this podcast comes out or the day after, we've got a brand new writer on board who's uh, starting a new series with us, mm-hmm. which is uh, going to be very good if you're, I mean, I suppose if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely not a beginner to the space, but if you are, and that's who's going to be very useful to you. So there you go. Uh, for social, social media, it's uh, nftinsider underscore io on Twitter and Instagram for uh, up-to-date Minute by minute news on the minute NFT by minute. Spread. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'll share wow. things. I'll share things as they come out. So, hey, if I spot something that's been announced, then I'll retweet it. Just <laughs> like a crypto news ticker. <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, and then, of course, for me personally, it is uh, at hydropowered, H Y D R O P W R D on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok. Still not made any TikToks. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to give a little TikTok update at the end of each of these podcasts, I think, see if I've actually got started on any. Um, yeah, you could record yourself saying, still haven't made any TikToks, and then make that a TikTok. There we go. Now I could NFT TikTok. that TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. See how attuned we are now. Like a hive mind. Oh, man. I'm, I'm considering actually doing that now. Have you? Just a little aside before I get into my Twitch spiel. Have you seen the um, the Photoshopped book cover? that i've made no it's like <laughs> i'll need to send you it it's um it's a book called like the art of stressless positivity by some like um you know motivational speaker kind of guy uh, and i edited the, the title what's it called the art of stressless productivity oh i thought you said stressless positivity i was gonna say if positivity oh, I, may, is stressful, I, may have, I may have said that <laughs> Anyway, I, I photoshopped the, the book cover in Comic Sans, of course, to call it The Art of Stressful Productivity uh, by me. And there's a picture that. of my face on the cover. So, yeah, I like that. Hey, I might make that as an NFT soon. But anyway, I'd what buy the that. hell am I doing? Um, yeah, you're the rest of my Twitch stuff, aren't you? Yes, Twitch stuff. Uh, so I stream three times a week, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 19 UTC. We play blockchain games. We give away NFTs. We... Um, play well if there's any multiplayer blockchain games we play those with you guys as well uh, played a lot of costume clash yesterday actually i got five player racing in it and we were we nice. always get beat by vice who's a a vice i know you well i think you listen to these podcasts if you uh if you are listening to this i will beat you one day maybe not anytime soon but i'll get there <laughs> i believe in you oh, it might take me a while like he, he's quick he's quick but anyway um, that was my very rambly outro. So there we yeah, go. Yeah, well, that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. Our outros are unknown for chaos, and we relentlessly deliver. <laughs> Sounds like it should be a, like the strapline for this podcast. We relentlessly deliver on... Chaos. Chaos. There we go. Yeah. I think, I mean, for the people that have said we should do a live podcast, it will essentially be an hour to two hour long outro. I don't think people would be that upset about that, if I'm honest. I think well, some people would quite like to see a two hour car crash. Well, exactly. As we started this podcast, we've had feedback from people like Stuck and uh, several other people in the community, including a couple of friends of mine who have said, I really like the the sort of bits where you're just talking complete waffle. It's uh it's interesting and maybe a bit more human. So who knows? We'll, we'll we will do a live episode soon. And my office is nearing completion, so we can do video oh, nice. podcasts soon. Ooh, which was the intention awesome. for this, wasn't it? We we always said we'd do video, but originally because yeah. my my office wasn't built and I didn't fancy 
um, being on video in what is now a baby's room because <laughs> I thought that was a bit weird. Oh hey, yeah, I'm uh, I'm down to do video podcasts sometime if you are. So hey, yeah, if you'd like to see our lovely faces whilst we talk for uh, a length of time on these podcasts every week, that's, let us know. That's the worst sales pitch ever. Would- <laughs> Well, I'd, it was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean, if there was an opt-out of seeing my face, <laughs> I'd take it. Well, I suppose if, you know, we're recording video podcasts, that we can start bringing props. You know, I can... I don't know what, what do I'd use as... I don't know what I'd use as props in a video <laughs> podcast. Do I don't know if we're, if we're talking about... Oh, I don't know. How would I represent decentralisation? I, I might yeah, have to draw it on a piece of paper. I don't know. <laughs> When I mentioned Wait, 2008, I could have brought up a mortgage deed. <laughs> so if you've got... Oh, you talk about EVE Online so much. I don't know if you've got any, like, yeah. EVE merch. Or spaceship. Like, Eva, yeah, there you go. Get a little model. <laughs> Just, there you go, EVE Online. What the hell are we I talking about? I don't know how about? it's come up so much. I, honestly, I don't know how EVE... Come, I haven't played it for at least a decade. <laughs> I don't know why it comes up so much. It doesn't come up in normal life. But this podcast is just like, I, I can't help it. Every analogy is Eve. You just like reminiscing about the glory days, don't you? Yeah. Ugh. Probably those glory days before I was born, but... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There'll be a lot of that on live episodes. Oh, almost certainly. <laughs> but anyway. All right. Should we let people go? Yeah, I think we should probably go, shouldn't we? <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this, everybody. And I hope you tune in next week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Okay. In a bit. Yep. See ya. That's it. That was that was waffle tastic. Oh my word.